welcome into the 3430 Club podcast. I am John Thorpe, joined as always by my co-host Bobby Nemeth. And what a week it has been. We have baseball back. We have the tournament. Bobby, how did you how did you make do with all the sports going on? How did you prioritize your time? Um, mini screens, I, I guess is the simple answer. Either with my computer or my phone up, with my TV on. I wanted to prioritize the NCAA tournament. Obviously, I mean, spring training games did start, but, you know, who cares about that right now? But well, for about oh, 12 we know hours. You do. We know I, you do. No, I really don't. I mean, it's like it's a little different this year because they only have like two and a half weeks. So you're going to see more more action from the regular everyday players early on. But I, it's spring training, man. They're just trying to get healthy. Like, I don't I don't care. But uh, a four straight days, basically, of basketball and 12 hours a day as much as i loved it um kind of nice to have a little break today but we had it was just nice to see uh fans and attendance and the energy and the arenas again and we had some uh, always upsets and we'll talk about that in a second but it was good man zags were able to win the first two games so ultimately uh, i'm a happy i'm a happy camper right now good to hear yeah i was um I was ironically in Tucson, where Arizona, you know, just flew out to go to the tournament. So I missed the team, but um, it there was, of course, basketball on throughout the restaurants that we went to this weekend. I was able to. I one of the the good things about having a long layover at the airport is you can go to the airport bar and have a huge screen bigger than the one in my own home. You're like twenty and inch so, TV. Uh, yeah i just i plopped myself right in front of the duke michigan state game yesterday and that was a good game um, it was great and then i I actually met people that were gonzaga fans and we struck up a conversation and we were talking about you know which of those two teams we wanted to see in the elite eight and so it was fun it's nice to find community like that this time of year where people are plugged in and you know everyone has a certain team that they're rooting for and a reason they think their team's going to win it all. Yeah. It's kind of like a universal holiday for all sports fans. Like no matter what sport you follow, everybody seems to come together the first weekend of March madness. Everybody's got a bracket, which everybody's bracket is obviously on fire after the first couple of days. Nobody saw St. Peter's 15 seed advancing to hey, the sweet 16. My, my Western. Uh, bracket is perfect so i don't know what you're talking about it's because it's the top four c's advanced i mean that's pretty easy easy thing to fall into place mine is not mine is not perfect in any region so we won't talk about that but we'll see where the final four turns up and again as long as the zags win the title everybody's dancing so which of the games were kind of your favorite upsets that that were most entertaining or got you on the edge of your seat the most this weekend well i think the obvious one is the gonzaga memphis game because i had stakes in that game i want the zags to win and they were trailing by by 10 points <clears throat> yeah at half and then immediately memphis scored another another bucket right as the second half started so they're down by 12 basically at the half and they came back and they had a 21, oh no, that was the first game, but they came back and started looking good like they always do in the second half. Got, I think, like a six-point lead, and then Memphis kept chipping away, keeping it close. Every time it seemed like the Zags would pull away, 
Memphis would come down. I hit a three or a couple buckets. And so the game was really tight most of the game. And because I had a horse in the race, like I'm, I'm a lot more invested into it. And it really came down to the wire. And Nimard fortunately hit two free throws to ice the game, like with three seconds left. So that was the game I was most on my seat, on the edge of my seat for. And a couple other games. Let me look through here. I mean, there was there was a lot of blowouts, to be honest. There was a lot of blowouts, and there was a lot of overtime games as well. So it was kind of a mixed bag. No buzzer beaters, like, ever. I, I would say the best game probably was the Arizona and TCU game last night, which I wasn't able to watch because I went to a show in Seattle. And I would assume if I would have been able to watch the second half of that game, that would have been probably my most exciting game. Um. But yeah, like I said, it's kind of a mixed bag of blowouts and overtime games. And I think <clears throat> I think you were talking about the West. That's the only region where the top four seeds advanced. Every other region is is kind of a mixed bag as well of seeds and double digit seeds. I think we had let's see, where are we at? I mean, St. Peter's a fifteen seed, Iowa State eleven seed moving forward to the Sweet Sixteen, Michigan, who I absolutely crapped on last week. It's proven me wrong. 11 seed moving forward in Miami, who dismantled Auburn. I think Auburn, I had him my final four. So uh, it's a really interesting year. I feel like the skill gap is just a lot closer between schools than it has been in previous years. Yeah, it's all about, uh, you know, putting it together at the right time. And how about St. Peter's being in the Sweet 16 with Purdue? They look, they look pretty good against, like, I know they're 15 seed and you you get you have to get a little bit lucky and playing right at the at the right time as you said but they look solid i mean they beat kentucky it wasn't like kentucky was playing like was playing terrible or playing down st peter's just matched them and end up winning and then st peter's looked pretty good uh i mean murray state yeah they're a seven seed but i think they were like 31 and two i mean that's a team that hadn't experienced a lot of losses this year and uh they controlled that game the whole way so I think Purdue. I think Purdue's got their hands full. I think we could see them advance to the Elite Eight. Yeah, I, I mean, I texted you this yesterday, but my favorite stat from the entire tournament was Purdue shot forty six free throws. Oh yeah, that's crazy against Texas. What like what uh, the hell? <laughs> like they must so, have spent half the game at the line. Uh, for anyone who watched that game, please <laughs> reach out and tell us what it was like because that must have been the longest game in the world. It was like a four-hour college basketball game. Yeah. So, so now we have, you know, do, do you have any uh, modified opinions of, like, teams that maybe you're higher on now that you weren't a week ago? Like, give me, give me all the overreactions. I mean, I think Michigan is obviously one of those teams, which I think all of us basically said was, it like, well, I, I'm extreme. I use the word travesty, but... I think all of us expected them not to be in, and the fact that they were in, we felt like that was unjust considering some of the other teams. But, but look at them go. I mean, they looked pretty good in their first two rounds, and honestly, against Tennessee, Tennessee was fighting back the whole game. So, I mean, you could look out for Michigan, and that team is, while they're not as good in previous years, they have some experience to them, and Jawan Howard's got some experience to them. You could see him make a deep run. So I would say yeah. they're probably the team that I... I underestimated greatly that could can still continue to do damage. And UNC also. I mean, they did beat Baylor, so the one seed did go down. They did blow a 25-point lead with 10 minutes to go, which was absolutely insane. So going back to that old question, 
the game that had me the most on the edge of my seat outside the Zags game was probably that Baylor UNC game, but only in the last 10 minutes. It was crazy that they got uh, with their kid Manic, who had 26 points at the time. He got ejected on a flagrant two. He had a high elbow to some kid's face, and they ejected him. And then another one of their starters went out maybe two minutes later and get fouled out already. So they had two of their starters, their main starters, go out. And Baylor just rolled the rest of the game, forced overtime. And I thought that was it. But UNC, they, they stayed strong, and they're two men down, and they pulled it out in overtime. But before that 10-minute span, I mean, like they were beating Baylor by 25 points, and they had like a 30-point win in the first round. So if they can put that energy together, like UNC might make a deep run. So those are the kind of teams I'm looking at. Yeah, I mean, I think in the East bracket, it's North Carolina, UCLA, Purdue, St. Peter's. You would have to think that at this point, UNC is the favorite in that. They look bracket, the best. Just with what they've done so far. You know, beating Marquette, beating Baylor, beating Duke a couple weeks ago. Yeah, they've been playing really hot in the later part of the season. And they, I mean, they're beating people. They're not just winning, like, they are beating people. So they're a scary team right now. Uh, like, we could see them, we could see them go. I can see a Final Four appearance, especially out of that region. Was Purdue is the highest seed coming out? Is that right? Or is it Kansas? Who is yeah, it? Purdue. Well, yeah, Purdue's not. a third, th- three seed. So yeah, it, anything could happen in that region. Yeah. I will say I, I think Iowa State's going to beat Miami. Yeah, they had agreed. an ugly game against Wisconsin uh, that was going on during the Duke-Michigan State game where they just neither team could really score anything. Um, and it wasn't exactly pleasant to watch. But I think if they there was a lot of games. Iowa State was able to get through Wisconsin, I think that Wisconsin's a better team than Miami, even though Miami dismantled Auburn. I think Auburn just played really poorly. We were, we were kind of talking about that before we were recording. They, they looked frantic. They looked chaotic. They were playing really disjointed and it came through and Miami was they just played you know even keel like it wasn't like they played insane it was just Auburn really played terribly yeah another team that uh played terribly was Arizona and at first stretches of that TCU game and something I wanted to to say on the podcast was don't count your chickens before they hatch from what I heard at that game, the Arizona players were getting a little high on their own supply and um, not not being the classiest individuals even before that game was over. And I understand you're a one seed. I understand that a lot of metrics say, you know, you're the favorite on paper to win. But if you are struggling to close a game out against a nine seed, there's there's no need to uh, act like you're walking on water. What do you think of, of that? Especially I mean, in the in the second round, you know. I think TCU had every chance to win that game. I wasn't able to watch it, but I went back and looked at play by play and kind of saw the trends of the game. And TCU was up with three point by three points with 15 seconds left, and Arizona had to sink a, a last second three to tie the game and force OT. And even OT was close, so. TCU was in that game and like said I had every chance to beat them and to end that game with such arrogance and posture like it's not a good sign for them 
somebody's gonna it's gonna catch up to them like if they're playing with that kind of arrogance then they're gonna overlook their next opponent too and opponents get better and better obviously as the rounds go by so it doesn't bode well for the rest of their tournament i think naturally outside of gonzaga they're probably the favorites to either make it to the title or win the title and because of the pedigree of the pac-12 in arizona like i said most people are picking arizona to win but after that i mean tcu was playing good but with that kind of mentality uh they're in for a tough fight to even make it over the next couple of rounds so really interesting after a hard-fought battle like that to show such poor classmanship and sportsmanship yeah and and i get that they're like they're emotional i've never played a game at that high of a level but still i think um you got to be able to compose yourself like like drew timmy like timmy in his post-game right? interview that's what just i was thinking control your mouth <laughs> yes yeah he can't really censor himself that well but he was i mean dude that was the perfect perfect response i mean he went through and talked about the game but then he also made sure to give memphis credit and said this is not a nine seed they played amazing and give them credit for turning their season around uh, that's what you would hope to expect out of these high pedigreed schools for sure yeah i um i think that to go back to gonzaga i think that memphis matchup was good for them getting a, a hyper athletic team that um really just swarmed them in the first half i mean i think a lot of people are talking about you know memphis's offense but it was really their defense that put clearly made Gonzaga uncomfortable and they weren't getting any open looks. They weren't creating space. Um, it's because Memphis is big. They're long, they're athletic, um, fast, really fast. Yeah. They, I feel like they had, you know, a million wings that were all pretty good sized. And even though certain guys were out with foul trouble that whole game it was like next man up there's another clone of the guy that just <laughs> Dude, went honestly, out you yeah. know did you feel that way yeah i mean it's interesting because they had gonzaga in the first half i don't i was i was texting you and my brother about this but they wouldn't force the ball inside like memphis was clogging the lanes and playing that defense but they were allowing a lot of room on the perimeter and gonzaga shot like 13 or 14 threes in the first half and I think they only hit three of them. I mean, they were shooting only 20% or something from from three. And if they hit a few of those, it's a different game. But at the same time, they, the second half started and they just started forcing the ball inside to Timmy and he made it work. And I think if they would have done that earlier, rather than just reserving to an outside shot or a three-point shot, I, I don't think that game would have been as close. But Memphis played, like I said, fast, upbeat tempo, running down in transition and caught Gonzaga off guard quite a few times. They, they played great. They played to what they know, uh, and it almost worked for them. Uh, Timmy just went off in the second half. Gonzaga, Gonzaga started playing who they were. I think ultimately, if Gonzaga plays what they know, they're gonna win. It's just a lot of times they play passively and let the other team control the game, and you were seeing that in the first half. Yeah, for sure. And Arkansas is not going to be an easy matchup. Uh... Although yeah. they look, they looked a little rough in their second round matchup too. Low scoring game. Yep. We'll see if uh, Gonzaga is able to keep their high octane offense alive. That'll be important. Um, and then I think, you know, Texas Tech and Duke. 
That'll be an interesting game. I think Duke pulls that out. I think we're going to see a Gonzaga-Duke matchup. I think so, too. Yeah, yeah. Duke, uh, they had a close game against Michigan State, but they looked really good. That I think it's inevitable if Gonzaga goes through Arkansas, it's going to be Duke. Yeah, and that's that's a scary matchup because oh, for sure. Gonzaga's already lost to Duke. Two points, though. I mean, it could have been anybody's game. True, but some would argue Duke's gotten better. Some would argue they've gotten worse. We'll find out. See Hopefully. what team shows up. Uh, all right. Anything else you have on the tournament? Oh, man. I'm just excited for the next round and go Zags. All right. We're now going to move on to a new segment called the Short Porch Report with Bobby. That's Bobby, right. you want to tell the listeners yes, what this, this segment is, is all about? This is uh, my excuse to give a Yankee-focused section of the podcast since I am so in love with my Yankees and I can't uh, restrain myself from talking about them. So if I give myself a tiny little section each week, uh, I can get that out of my system. And so this week on the short porch report, uh, Yankees made a big trade and I think it was, it, it's a to be determined trade. I was not a fan. They traded away Gary Sanchez, a beloved Yankee. And admittedly, he has struggled recently and G or for Josh Donaldson and Isaiah Kiner Falefa. Straight trade. And then they got Ben Roitvert, Roitvert, young catcher prospect, already injured, by the way. And and when we got Donaldson, we took on all of his contract, $50 million. It's $25 million a year for the next two years. None of like this trade really makes zero sense to me. And before I go off on a tangent, what was your initial impression when you saw this trade? Well, we should mention that it was preceded by the trade between Minnesota and Texas. Right, they just that got... had yep. Kiner Falefa go to Minnesota for Mitch Garver. Um, so I think clearly Minnesota had this in mind, and that was not... They were never targeting Kiner Falefa for themselves. It was just... For whatever reason, they couldn't make a three-team trade work, um, so they had to kind of piecemeal it together. Um, you know, I think it is puzzling. I think it's a little puzzling on both sides, but probably I agree with you more puzzling for the Yankees. Um, you and I were talking last week about Josh Donaldson. Maybe I was a little hard on him, but, you know, he's, he's pretty up there Yankee. in age. Yes, he's pretty up there in age, and I know in a month you're going to be telling me how great he is. But I hope so. Um, it it is an odd move to go after a third baseman that you know their their best days are definitely way behind them. I would say, and somebody who's had a lot of injury issues. Yeah, so, and that's like so traditional for Yankees to trade for somebody that is injury prone. We're already an injury prone team. Whereas Urshela, I mean, you can remind me, he's been pretty healthy, right? He's He was a little injured last year, but like I said, every Yankee is seems to be injured at some point. So last year, he was on and off the field quite often. He never really got going, but he is a gold glove caliber defense, defensive third baseman. We played him at short uh, the later part of the year, but he's a great defender, and he has a good bat, uh, and he was wasn't healthy last year statistics dropped a little bit but he's a guy that can go out there and pop 20 home runs and at 270 for your team and he's got a lot of opposite field power too so he can spread the ball around 
And Gary Sanchez, we know he came up as a phenom, hit 20 home runs like in first month that he was in the big. He set a record and 36 bombs, 33 bombs. And his biggest problem is one, staying healthy and his defense. He's been really horrible defensively, leading the league in pass balls and so on. And so he's been kind of a, a liability behind the plate. Garrett Cole won't pitch to him. Um, we have a backup catcher. Well, is now our starting catcher. Kyle Higashioka is the only guy that Garrett Cole would let catch for him because he didn't trust Gary Sanchez. So Gary going makes sense. It seemed like the writing was on the wall the last couple of years, but he's such a beloved Yankee. It was just a gut punch. And Gio, still young. I think he's still got two more years of arbitration. And he's got a good bat and good defense. And to flip Gio for an essentially an older version of himself for a lot more money it just didn't it don't think it makes sense to any of us donaldson can be an elite bat he still was in the top five and ten percentile and a lot of hitting metrics last year but defensively he's well past his prime and there's no guarantee at his age that he's going to perform at the plate or he's going to be healthy and to take on 50 million dollars it just doesn't make sense when we have these huge free agents that have been out there that could fill that gap in Seeger or Story or Correa. It just, none of it makes sense. And Cashman comes out and he's like, well, this is that we've improved in every area that we wanted to. And we have a good team on the field and it's a wait and see. But I can tell you right now, the Yankees Twitter was extremely upset by this trade. And, and you were <laughs> driving Matt that bus weren't you i mean i i don't have that influence okay but if i could yes i was very active in my uh displeasure for this trade but i wasn't the only one yeah i i think from an outsider's point of view it kind of seemed like the gary sanchez relationship was just bound to end it was um, yeah and that's what i said the it, it had been going downhill for i feel like several years um and I thought at one point, you know, there were there was talks of, well, we need to take him out of catcher because of what you you mentioned, him being a poor defensive catcher. Um, but the problem with the Yankees was that there wasn't a lot of places to put him other than catcher, right? Yeah, I mean, we had a lot of depth already at first base and, and DH. So if we put him at DH, which we would do every now and then, it takes a bat away from... Luke Voigt or Giancarlo Stanton or Judge if he's DHing. And so those bats are typically more consistent than than Sanchez and Gary. And Gary again, terrible defensive catcher. We're not gonna we're probably not gonna put him at first place anyway, because he's not gonna be able to handle first base. He can't handle a pitch being thrown at him straight. Like how's he gonna handle a hop skip, you know, or short <laughs> a short skip from shortstop for third base. He's not going to. So like you said, there wasn't a lot of room for him anywhere else. If, if we could just put him as a DH, I think that could have been an answer, but that position's filled. I mean, that's where Stan's going to be. He's not going to play a lot of the field. He's going to DH. And you can't, can't trade that contract. No. And, and we, you know, he's been <laughs> productive for us. There's no reason for us to get rid of Stan. The last two years he's been, he's been a force in our lineup and he's been really, Ironically, the only person that showed up in the playoffs. Uh, he's a big part of our team now. Yeah. Well, it's it's a sad end to an era of Gary Sanchez that 
yep. didn't live on long enough for I think most Yankees fans. I think we expected a lot, especially when we traded for Stanton. Be like, oh, we have Stanton, we have Judge, and we have Sanchez in the middle of that order. It's going to be historic, and it just never panned out. And another thing that just didn't quite pan out is Luke Voigt. I uh, really liked him, but he we kind of just pushed him out. We he didn't have room either on our team, and we traded him to San Diego. And he's another guy where his relationship, I think, over the last year, has kind of deteriorated with the team, and we moved on from him. I mean, he led the league in home runs in 2020. It was a shortened season, but he's an, an elite bat. But he he just couldn't stay on the field. He couldn't stay healthy. And I think we were at a point where we said we have Anthony Rizzo, and we're going to go with him and Luke Voigt. We want to do him right, so we're going to put him on a team where he's going to actually be able to hopefully play every day if he can stay healthy. Were there any MLB players that came back in that deal, or was it no, all minor league? it was a prospect. I think his name was like Tommy Lang. He's some kid that throws like 103, but he only has 22 innings of professional ball, and that's just like rookie ball. It's not even single A. Uh, he's really young. So, But that, that wasn't the point. It wasn't about what we got back. It was just giving him a new home and getting rid of him. Yeah. So what about your uh, marquee free agent destination status? You know, none. We I, got know none York, man. I know New York is a really popular spot for yeah, athletes we, to go. Zero. So what's the big news there? So I think a lot of people, especially in the general sports world, think of the Yankees as buying players all the time because that's what we did in the mid, early 2000s, late 2000s. But that's not us anymore. We're not doing that. We had all these big marquee free agents i talked about shortstop we had the best shortstop class i think we've ever seen in free agency we didn't sign anybody oh we needed to fill first base freddie freeman on the market let's go get him didn't do it max scherzer be nice to get another elite starter didn't do it carlos Rodon didn't do it we signed zero we had such a thick and robust free agent class this year the yankees signed zero i don't know what we're like why are we bargain bargain bin hunting now this is not the yankees we have the money and here's the thing is we have 250 million dollar payroll this year it's the highest payroll we've ever had so they're coming out saying well we're we have a high payroll we're spending the money what are you spending the money on josh donaldson where is this contract like this money isn't well spent spending a lot of money is not the same as spending it well and we are not and we had holes to fill and we decided that a 36 year old and a pretty much unknown young shortstop were the answers rather than people that are uh, all-stars, MVPs, and just absolute game changers were out there for us to get to fill these gaps, and we didn't do it. We didn't do it. And I don't know what that means for us. I don't know how it's going to look because everybody else in our division seemed to get better. So, so we'll never know, but do you think it was that the Yankees just never made a competitive offer, or do you think it was the players saying, I would rather be on Team X, Y, and Z? Uh, I mean, there, you never know what happens in negotiations, but my understanding is the Yankees never really made a competitive offer. They would talk to, they were linked to everybody, but they never really made a huge push. I mean, we'll get into Correa, but if they really wanted Correa, they would have Carlos Correa. He was absolutely gettable and affordable for us. There was no reason in the world if we actually wanted him, why we wouldn't. So we never really made a big push for any of those free agents. We decided that we would keep our payroll mostly where it's at. 
and just run it back. We're just going to run it back like we did last year. And that's pretty ballsy considering we only won 92 games and got ousted in the wildcard game. Just say, oh, no, it was the right formula. They just didn't have a whole year. Well, we're going to find out. We will indeed. Now, did your favorite free agent come back to the Yankees, the one I know you were waiting for the whole time? I'm confused. You're going to have to help Brett me. Mr. Brett Gardner. Oh, Brett Gardner. <laughs> Not yet. Is he it'll back? Happen. Did they announce it? No, they haven't announced it. It'll, it'll happen. Man. He's like already in Tampa. He's like freaking out with the team on the side. Like, it's going to happen. Gardy will be back. Needed. See, they just need something to sprinkle to fans. To yeah, that's going to be their big sign. you guys off their We brought back. Brett Gardner back for a two-year deal, opt out after one, $2 million. I can't, I can't believe he's still playing. He still wants to. I mean, he, can, he contributes. I think he's a great presence in our clubhouse. I'd love for him to be back, but that definitely wasn't the big signing I was hoping for us to have. But it appears that that's going to be it. Yeah. Well, speaking of big signings, uh, let's move on to some of the shocking, jaw-dropping uh, signings that happened last week, because there were certainly some that we did not see coming at all. Oh, yeah. You want to start with those? Yeah. I want, uh, I'm want. i curious for you, what is the signing that stood out the most as, like, I can't believe they were going to that team, or I can't believe that contract? Yeah, I would say... It's pretty easily Chris Bryant to the Rockies. Um, Head scratcher. I don't think anyone had that on their bingo board. Um, it's just not a good lineup. It's not a team that's been winning lately. Um, Chris Bryant has always been on winning teams that are, uh, you know, very competitive and have good talent around them. I think we can debate whether Bryant is like the best hitter on a championship team or if he's kind of a outstanding number two i tend to lean that way but you know i guess he wanted to be the the top dog in uh the mile high city i mean it 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 really doesn't make sense for me from the rockies standpoint for the organization for chris bryant to go there is a head scratcher because he's been on competitive teams and made the playoffs pretty much every year that he's been in the bigs won a world series so I, I know he had offers. I mean, he must have had interest from the Mets and the Phillies. And I know the Mariners, before they made that big trade, he had offers from teams that are going to compete. I think for him, he just wanted a fat contract. And at the end of the day, it's hard to fault somebody for getting a bag. People have done that. They've gone to bad teams just to get a fat contract. And I think, that's, I think that was his only motive. He wanted to be the big man on campus, and he wanted the biggest contract there. So. It's confusing, but you can justify it. On the Rockies' side, they traded away Nolan Arenado, who arguably was the best third baseman in the game, one of the best players in the game, they, who they already had a contract with. They had him locked down for like 10 years. They traded him away literally a year ago. And now they just signed a third baseman, like a discount version of him, and they're not getting Trevor Story back. So are they rebuilding or not? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I I can't tell you. I I would be curious to hear what um what Rockies fans think the team has planned. Maybe we'll try to get somebody on who who follows the Rockies closely, but Yeah, make it make sense. Yeah, make it make sense. The other one that maybe you wouldn't be surpri as surprised about um but I was surprised 
Uh, and I feel like this one flew under the radar just with the chaos of like March Madness last week. But on, uh, was it on Friday? Yeah. Uh, the Braves have a new closer, question mark. Yeah, Kelly uh, Jansen. One, one that spent his entire life, uh, or his entire professional life, I should say, uh, contending for World Series on the opposite coast, Kenley Jansen. Um, so first question, who's the closer there? I think it's... I think it's got to be Will Smith still, right? I, I don't know. Because the thing is, is that Will Smith struggled with consistency last year, but he ended the year really strong and was obviously lights out in the playoffs. So I think it's got to be his position to lose. But from my understanding, when they signed Kenley, they talked to Will Smith and they said, we're going to bring this guy in. And he was like, look, I just want to win, so I'll do whatever. So we'll see. I think they'll probably do it by committee and just see who pans out. Maybe Kenley Jansen mid middle of the year is that closer. But one way or another, I mean, that's a, that's a hell of a bullpen they got. Uh, the Braves, World Series champions, they got better. They're a better team than they were last year. Without Freddie Freeman. Without Freddie Freeman, so I mean, it's a good segue alert. to say he did not sign back with the Braves like everybody felt like he should. I think he thought he was signing back with the Braves until two days before he wasn't. <clears throat> but they do have a new first baseman, the Braves. They traded for Matt Olson. Huge deal. They gave up every prospect that they have, but Matt Olson is, I don't know, arguably a better player than Freddie Freeman now and younger. I think the thing that you miss with Freddie Freeman is that clubhouse presence and that leadership, which is an important factor. So we'll see how that plays out. But Matt Olson, who I was hoping was going to be a future Yankee, that's another player that we were linked to that I was sure we we're going to get and that would help this out tremendously that we didn't. I'm a little sour about it. But the Braves getting him makes total sense. Um, the whole situation was weird, John. Like, what's your understanding of that That kind of two-day span where Olsen got traded and then Freeman went to the Dodgers? What's your understanding of that whole kind of chaotic situation? I guess my my thought is the Braves had to have known where he was going. Um, and, and maybe they just felt like, you know, they they were probably working with the athletics weeks in advance if not months in advance you know something that i always hear from interviews with front office former front office personnel that are like able to speak on these things now because they're kind of out of the industry they're retired from it they always say like these these deals typically the, the big players have been in discussions for teams have been discussing the big core pieces of the framework for weeks if not months um and so i imagine that the Braves, this was like contingency plan number one if Freeman wasn't going to go there. So they were probably talking with the athletics. And I'm sure that the relationship between the Braves front office and Freddie Freeman's agent was still strong enough that, you know, the agent was respectful and said, hey, we're, we're in pretty serious talks with the Dodgers right now. We're kind of you know, wrapping up the last kind of final tweaks on the contract and it will be signed in a couple of days. And and so that gave the Braves kind of the green light to go ahead and call up the athletics and say, yeah, let's let's do this. Um, that's kind of my take on it. Obviously, I, like I'm not in the room. I'm not part of these phone calls, but I have not to yet, imagine. John. Not yet. <laughs> maybe someday. But I have to imagine that the Braves were were probably had like 
one hand on the trigger with the athletics for a while now. No, I think they probably got a deal done. They said, what would it take to get Matt Olson? And the A's were like, it will be these players. And they said, okay, hold. But there's been, yep. been some interesting things that have come out. Freeman apparently had no idea that that was going to happen. He was sitting there and found out just like everybody else in the world did. And I guess he was really upset by that. He's like, I can't believe that they didn't tell me that they were going to do this and that we were not going to continue to negotiate. It kind of it caught him by surprise. Um, and I think for him, he expected to sign back with the Braves. And there's been some conflicting things because his camp says that the Braves only called him twice the entire time before the lockout and after and weren't really engaging so it seemed like the Braves were just moving on. And then on the other side, there's some rumors that Freddie Freeman's agent would, wouldn't get back to him when they did call. And he was kind mm. of cold shoulder, shouldering them and uh, playing hard to get. And so the Braves were like, okay, like if you don't want to talk, then I guess it's over and we're going to pull the trigger. So I'm sure the truth lands somewhere in the middle. Um, but I think it's just kind of... I think a lot of Braves fans and the organization feels a little sour about it because it, it seems like he easily could have signed back with the Braves and there was just some sort of, I don't know, ego, like, piss contest that, that made everything crumble. And now he's a Dodger. And the Dodgers are insanely good. And it makes sense that he's over there. He was linked to the Red Sox and the Rays and the Blue Jays for a second. And uh, I was kind of freaking out that he's going to be in the AL East and not on the Yankees. But thankfully, that didn't happen. And I think it's a great fit for him. And I think ultimately, both teams, the Dodgers and Braves, are uh, are better. Um, but just kind of an unfortunate situation for a player that's homegrown and just won a World Series champion with you. And it just seems like it was a messy ending. Yeah, that's a shame that it didn't end so well. And, you know, maybe maybe the Braves felt that hey we can get 90 percent of the production from madelson and then we'll go spend that other money on kenley jansen and we'll have more flexibility in the future uh you know that's the front office's favorite word is flexibility that's true um and so you know i could see a world where they're like yeah madelson gives us almost everything that freddie freeman does and look at all the other stuff we can spend this money on and they did spend money on Alston too, because they just extended them for eight years. I think it was like 180 million. Right, but still a shorter, or still a smaller contract. Right, than overall, signed. yeah. And then they got Kenley, and then they got they re-signed Eddie Rosario, who's a playoff hero. And that pitcher was Colin McHugh. Is that his name from the Rays bullpen? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they got him too. Bolstered. They got Jansen and McHugh. So. They, um, as sticky as it was, uh, the Braves have made some really good moves this offseason. Like I said, got a lot better than they were last year. And Acuna is back and will be healthy eventually. So right. look out for them. All right. What's, uh, what about you? What moves stand out to I you? I mean, it's that you Correa, want to right? To the Twins? Did anybody see that? Anybody see Carlos Correa signing with the Twins? So now we can come full circle and why. The Yankees absorbed $15 million from the Twins is so they could go out and sign Carlos Correa. They essentially used the Yankees' money to sign the player the Yankees should have signed, and I'm, I'm a little pissed about it. They played us. And so when you're saying it's kind of confusing, like, no, the Twins had a plan all along. 
they made room for Carlos Correa. And that contract is so weird. It's a three-year deal. And he has an opt-out every year of the contract. So a lot of people are speculating that he probably is only going to play one year with the Twins and opt-out. It's kind of like a prove-it year. And on top of that, on the Twins side, they don't really have a big commitment to this because if they're struggling midway through the season, they just trade them and they get prospects back. So it makes sense on both sides, but I don't think anybody saw this. But they have somewhat of a win-now roster. You know, I mean, when you... When you go out and get Gary Sanchez, who's a ticking time bomb, and uh, Gio Urshela, like you're, you want to win now. You're not looking two or three years out. No, they got Sonny Gray, too. I think they are looking to win now, but if their experiment doesn't work, then they can sell. Yeah. So Again, that, mag- back. that magical word, flexibility. Flexibility, that's right. So uh, nobody, I mean, uh, Twitter was, the baseball world was really confused by it. But when you look at it, it makes a lot of sense. Like it's, there's no commitment on either side. And it'll be interesting to see. It'll, I mean, that division, the AL Central is, I think, probably the weakest division in baseball. So the Twins have every shot in the world of taking that division, especially with the lineup they have now. If Gary can come back and just DH and hit 30-something home runs, that's, that's the best they could hope for. They got to get through the White Sox. I think oh, the White Sox are severely there. overrated. Severely overrated. We'll see. They uh, Luis Robert was injured quite a bit last year, so if they get a full year of him, yeah. But they had a dominant bullpen and pitching staff. Didn't matter. I mean, they have a lot of talent, but I, I just they can never put it together at the end of the year. They're always struggling a little bit, and they definitely haven't performed playoffs when they. They're easily- a young team. Yeah, they're a young team, they're very but young team. they've been at it for a couple of years now. It's not like it was their first year. I, I don't know. I, I think they're overrated. I think I think the Twins can capture them. And I think I think the Tiger is going to be a lot better this year. I wouldn't be surprised if they make a push, at least for a playoff spot. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I, I don't think they'll go have a playoff spot. Uh, I don't think their hitting's good enough for that. Uh, but their their pitching is pretty interesting. I mean, they've, they have three of the, the top pitching prospects in the game right now that are all coming up uh well have been called up in the last two seasons and this is kind of when you expect them to turn that new leaf and you know really put things together yeah and they signed eduardo rodriguez from the red sox who arguably was their most consistent pitcher i i'm telling you i mean i think they're going to compete for a playoff spot this year we'll see if they can get on base that's that would be their challenge. And they have uh what what's his name? Uh I can never pronounce his name correctly. Torkelson. Torkelson coming that's, up. Who's, yeah, Spencer Torkelson. And he's a huge prospect. And I think uh if he can come up and even contribute a little bit, I think he's gonna help that team a lot. Uh, he was a number one draft pick a couple years ago and has been always in the top ten of prospects and it's it's finally his year to to make the bigs. And so if he comes up and he starts producing. You got Javi Baez on the team. I mean, could be good. Yeah, but he doesn't even have the coolest name on the team. You know who, who the coolest name is, right? Akila Badu. The best baseball name. No. Who? Although that's a good one. Tarek Scooball. No, I think Badu is way better. Great name. Scooball is good. I'll give you that. But Akila Badu. Especially like, since on. he's a pitcher. Like, it's so close to Screwball. <laughs> I, I see the connection you're trying to make. I cannot respect right. it. But Badu is great. Speaking of rebuilding teams, um, 
the A's and the Reds decided to gut their rosters. Oh God, How do you I feel know. about that? Yeah, fire sale. The A's don't make sense to me. Like they do such a good job with their development of players and just signing and trading for these role players that really build a good foundation team and then they they win 90 plus games and they get to the playoffs and they do that for one or two years and if they don't i guess win a championship they just sell everybody i mean they've done that for 20 years it doesn't make sense so the a's are cleaning house i mean they got rid of matt olson who is mvb caliber probably the best first baseman in the league they got rid of matt chapman who had a down year was injured but arguably was one of the better third basemen in the league for a while um they're probably gonna get rid of Manaya and montez and everybody else that has any value maybe sean murphy maybe liriano like they're gonna be a triple a team by the end of this and the reds have what sonny gray is gone they didn't sign uh castellanos he's been signed to the phillies now we'll talk about that in a second they traded away um with jesse minter and uh suarez what's his first name again john a eugenio e- eugenio to the Mariners. Ayu, Ayu, you Okay, well, I'm going to take your word for it. <laughs> um, so the Mariners got a big trade from them, and uh, yeah, they're getting rid of everybody on their team. So the A's and Reds are just like, we don't care. Just get rid of them. We don't want to have any contracts. We'll rebuild, and we'll be terrible for five years. And it kind of goes right. with that tanking were... thing, too. Don't you think? Like, they didn't really resolve anything on preventing tanking in the new cba and you're already immediately seeing two teams basically tank right and i thought you know it wasn't long ago that the reds were tanking to get the team that they just traded away you know and here like, we are again that was that was maybe three or four years ago and May- it may be a little longer than that but and it wasn't yeah like they were like... bad just like the a's like these are teams that i think were above 500 the reds were competing for a playoff spot last year they had good pieces. They had signed some good players. And uh, I guess it was time. I guess two years is enough for them. Sometimes being in the middle is the worst place to be, though. I think some people have that I guess, that but mindset. But then you're only one or two player, like, players away from not being in the middle. Push towards it. You know what I mean? Like, they sign these players to come. I don't know. It. If it was another team, it'd make sense to me. The A's and Reds were teams that had good talent and didn't take much. It wouldn't take much to push them over the top to make them contenders in their divisions. And uh, it didn't seem like their owner ownership wanted to do that. It certainly did not. And they just uh, they helped the Blue Jays get better. They helped the Mariners get better. So, you know, they were. <laughs> Don't make the Blue Jays better. Yeah. They're the Blue Jays are getting they're getting better. Yeah, I mean, arguably, I don't know. I don't know. Everybody thinks that they're going to be better this year, but they got Chapman, who is really good, but he's been kind of down the last few years, and they lost Simeon, and they lost Robbie Ray, which I know you hate Robbie Ray. We talked about that, but I think he's fine. And, Do not uh, hate Robbie Ray. <laughs> I, think, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to be... Uh, any, can you expect that same kind of production out of Vladdy? I don't know. So... Everybody's on the Blue Jays, but we'll 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 see. I think the Red Sox segue into the Red Sox. They they got better, unfortunately. They signed Trevor Story. Yeah, the player that I thought the Yankees were going to sign. Like a lot of people, I did. thought that was your sweet spot of who 
who the Yankees would get. Um, now, they did lose Kyle Schwarber, and they did lose Eduardo Rodriguez. So I'm not quite sure what to think of the Red Sox. I'm, I'm kind of puzzled by what they've done in their post, you know, 2018. Um, World Championship. You, yeah, like era, I guess, like. That you know they've torn they've torn it all the way down, but then they really overachieved, and they it seems like they're just kind of got these random players that they plug in. You know, like Kyle Schwarber is all of a sudden awesome. Yeah, and Bobby Dalbeck and Christian Vacas. Of... It's yeah, and and now Trevor Story is supposed to kind of be patch up that lineup. I, I yeah, I'm not sure. They're they're somehow always better than I think they're gonna be in the last few years. I know it's awful, isn't it? It's just terrible. No, no it's I ha- I'm happy for them. No, John, really? Are we friends or what? <laughs> I'm just saying that to get a reaction out of you. That's I'm not a. But that's kind of. I'm their pretty MO impartial too. to the Red Sox. That is kind of their mo too. They they like to do that where a year or two after winning the championship, if they don't get another one, they'll trade a lot of their big stars get some prospects back, be really bad for one year, and then somehow the next year be in contention again. So they rebuild, but they only do it for like a year. I, they have a really efficient rebuilding system, I guess, because they've done it since 2004. They've done it like three times, three or four times. And it's worked. keeps working. I just don't know how that uh, that pitching staff has been able to hold up. Like, what, I mean, on paper, what a lousy rotation. Yeah, and, yeah, and they you know, lost their one consistent pitcher. Yeah, consistently high ERA. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, Eduardo Rodriguez. You know, you you mentioned Robbie Ray. Yeah, Eduardo Rodriguez had that same issue where ton of strikeouts, but just you know, gave up homers like it was nothing. Um, and so I never understood Eduardo Rodriguez. I. I always thought, you know, he's he's a good number three pitcher, but he should never be your ace. And then last year it just worked. Yeah, it just turned out. And I think Sale is is injured again. I mean, he started injured the season again. on IL, so I, I don't even know who they have to be honest with you. Even anymore. as even as a Yankee fan, you got to feel sad for Chris Sale, right? No, I mean, not at all. ever since winning me? that World you Series ring, you don't understand. No, I do not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay, explain why. I never feel sorry for a Red Sox. The Red Sox the guy has the Red Sox the guy like have barely Chris Sale played. is nasty. And him being injured means we don't have to face him nineteen times a year. This is a positive. Man, no heart. Yeah, I'm not I saying man. Up. Him being injured helps us. Up. How can I mean it's the way here's it is. their here's their starting rotation. Nate Ivaldi. Oh, Ivaldi's. I mean, he's obviously. Yeah, he beat us in the wild card game, and he was. He's an ex-Yankee too, and he was. He's, he had Tommy John surgery ace. and came back, and now he's throwing like a hundred. He's a workhorse. He was good for us too, and don't get me he's, wrong. And then we just shoot him away. He went to the Marlins. I think he got he got injured. Tommy John surgery. Sox took a chance on him, and he's really panned out. So he's, he's had a he's roller solid. coaster. He's had a roller coaster of a career. Yeah, for sure. Um, it reminds me a little bit of um, Charlie Morton, actually. You know, having like a late resurgence in their career after dealing with a lot of injury. 
uh, and getting better after injuries, strangely enough. Yeah, he's, he's um, a tough person to face. But as your ace, yeah. He's good, man. And then uh, they've got Nick Pavetta, Tanner Houck, Michael Waka, and Rich Hill, oh, 42 Rich Hill. years right. old. Yeah, Jamie Moyer-esque. My goodness. Jamie Moyer-esque. Um, yeah, their, their rotation is something to be desired, so... The Reds, everybody's talking about the Yankees being the third, fourth best team in that uh, division. And I, I look around and the Sox are better on offense. They're going to be like they always are. They're going to hit the ball, but they're not going to pitch. And the Blue Jays going to hit the ball, but are they going to pitch? And how's Chapman going to be? So the other team we're not talking about, I know this isn't like an AL East prediction, but the, the Rays really haven't made any moves. And the only person they had a chance I thought to resign was Nelson Cruz and he went to the Nationals. And now they're talking about trading away Austin Meadows and they lost Colin Q and But it's a hundred win team, so you gotta still think that they're gonna be just as solid as they were last year. I think so, and you know, it helps when you've had the number one farm system for basically our entire lifetime. Uh, you know, when you have Wander Franco, twenty nine other teams are gonna be jealous of you. I mean, but they're go ahead. I, I gotta I gotta say he he has that clutch gene. The way he showed up against the Sox in the playoffs, he has it. He's that guy. He's a he's a stud. So the Rays are gonna have like, at least for six years, they're gonna have a stud in their organization. Somebody that's gonna show up reminds me not in the same power type of hitting, but reminds me a lot of like Juan Soto and that type of he just shows up, man. He gets it done. Right. I think, you know, looking at their lineup so i'll really quickly i'll go through it brandon Lowe, wander franco austin meadows brandy arez reina g man Choi, yandy diaz mike zanino manuel Margot, and kevin kiermeyer so i think what they're missing is just like that that fourth or fifth guy who's gonna hit 30 home runs that could have been nelson you know? cruz that, and he would have been cheap it, exactly he would have been really cheap um, so it's weird it's weird he went to the brandon too Brandon Lowe is the only guy, actually, apparently it's pronounced Lau in his case. Sorry, Brandon. Um, Brandon Lau is the only one projected to hit 30 home runs or more in that entire lineup. Yeah, but that's not so, their game. It never has been. It's not. They've, they've got a lot of guys who can steal bases, uh, dying art, uh, that I love to point <laughs> I out. I want to also point out that John randomly texted this morning that he misses stolen bases, just with no context. I just want everybody to know that. <laughs> I do. It's it's sad to not see it anymore. So maybe, you know, Randy and Manuel can give us 20 stolen bases. That would be great. Uh, their starting rotation, Shane McClanahan, Drew Rasmussen, Corey Kluber, Ryan Yarborough, and Luis Patino. Um, and Glass now is out this year, right? He's still yeah. recovering. He got Tommy John, That's... right? He did. He got it last August. Um, and then, you know, there's still Shane Baz had elbow surgery. Uh, Yanni Chirinos is out. Brendan McKay. Brendan McKay is always injured. That poor guy. Um, and then also Nick Anderson. Um, had UCL surgery in October. A lot of injuries. So, th yeah, I mean, it's just not the same quality of pitching staff that we are used to seeing from the Rays. 
Um, they have a war it's chest of prospects, though. Nah, but they have plenty of prospects that they'll be able to do something with. They'll either develop them, bring them up, or they'll be able to get some sort of, you know, Nate Yavaldi type pitcher <laughs> um, in a trade for, you know, like their fifth best prospect. Yeah, so... But, you know, thinking about the Yankees not really making a lot of moves and looking around the division, it'll still be a competitive division. Uh, I wish we made bigger moves, but the other team, I mean, the Red Sox were linked to Freddie Freeman, Blue Jays, Rays were linked to Freddie Freeman too. So nobody in our division outside of, I guess, Trevor Story, the Sox, like nobody really made any giant, giant moves. Matt Chapman could have been on the same level as Donaldson. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, these have been typically the the best this has been the best division in baseball and i think it'll be as competitive as it was last year uh and the orioles will be will be, be better. better yeah they you are. laugh at you laugh at it but they I, have a I sneaky just, good pitching staff you, my dude they have some young studs cedric mullins is awesome if they don't trade him it'd be cool if they trade him to us but um they have some good players mount castle and then uh his name adley rushman another number one prospects yeah. i think like last year or two years ago I think he's Oregon coming up State this year. State legend. Yeah, and uh, that team is like, if we, man, if we don't make moves, we're gonna have five young teams in our division, all competitive. The Orioles are not gonna be a laughing stock for that much longer. They're gonna be a good team. They got some talent. Yeah. Thank you. I'm. I'm glad you're giving some respect. And you it. act like I didn't before. <laughs> you act like they've been bad, but like they're working on it, man. Supposedly, too random, random thing. They offered Korea a 10-year, $300 million contract, which I think is so interesting. That's pretty funny. Um, not surprising that he turned it down, though. He did. You got you, you to prove that you're going to be a winning team before. Well, uh, it was trust. really important to Korea to be the highest paid infielder in history. So I think that his deal averages out to, I can't remember who got, I can't remember if he got the biggest contract for an infielder, but it was like 34 a year. And his contract for Correa signed is like 34.2 a year. Like it was really important for Correa to have that, that number one spot. <laughs> I don't know, man. He's, he's talented, but he's kind of a clown. So maybe it's better we don't have him. You know, the man likes to show off as well. Oh, you remember sure. when he proposed to his girlfriend and the diamond that he gave her was like, weighing her hand down like she couldn't even lift her finger yeah, up in the air maybe that's why he needs this contract he's still paying that off <laughs> probably uh i also want to touch on the phillies you know we talked about the braves getting better and they did and the mets have been spending money they might be close to 300 million dollars this year i don't think they're they probably not quite done but the phillies uh phillies struggled last year they're in first place for the towards the end of the season they just collapsed Missed the playoffs again, even though Bryce Harper won the MVP. But they went out and landed two big names, two of the big fish. They landed Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos. And they're going to be able to hit like crazy, but they still have a god-awful bullpen. So I don't know how that's going to translate. Yeah, I, you know, I, I remember seeing Bryce Harper say he was really working hard to get some other stars onto that team. He did. And... Like you said, their their lineup is going to be decent. Uh, Schwarber, Castellanos, Harper, Real Muto, Reese Hoskins, Gene Segura, Didi Gregorius, Alec Bohm, and Odubel Herrera. So 
Yeah, I mean that's a that's a fairly good. I wouldn't say that that's like a contending lineup, but it's a playoff lineup for it's sure. It's a better lineup. Yeah, and Castellanos is really underrated. This dude mashes. He hits over three hundred, close to hundred RBIs, if not more, every year. Probably somewhere around nine hundred OPS, thirty home. Like he's a good hitter. He's not just a power hit. He's a really good hitter. So, and it's not like he's terrible defensively. He's and he's completely. I just feel like he's probably the most underrated player in the game. And I think him being in that spotlight a little bit more in Philadelphia is going to help him out. It's also crazy that he's only thirty years old, right? I think it, I mean, it feels like I have been tracking him for a very long time. You know, he was he originally signed with Detroit in 2010 um when he was 18. So, and he first played in 2013. So, he came up pretty quickly as a a 21-year-old. Yeah, and he's been producing so all the time. That's why it feels that's why it feels like he's been around for so long. So, there Go ahead. I was going to say, they're pitching Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, Kyle Gibson, Ranger Suarez, and Hans Kraus. Hans what? Uh, <laughs> Who's that? Kraus. Kraus. Kraus with a C. The Kraus. They, okay. they, they've got some good names because they've got that is Ranger, is a, Ranger is a great name. And then in their bullpen, they have Sir Anthony um, Dominguez. So... Two of the best baseball names out there. Right yeah, now. and one of the reasons you're talking about their bullpen, I just and I touched on uh, one of the reasons they didn't make the playoffs is because they had something crazy like 27 blown saves last year. You got to think if they if they get half of those, I mean, they win that division. So, you know, it's good to have a good offense, but you need to be able to close the game down. In Corey Knabel, we trust. So we'll see. That division should be interesting too. With the Braves, Phillies now reloaded, Mets. Always trying because Stephen Cohen has just like bottomless pockets, and he's going to go out and pay and trade. And he's he's the new George Steinbrenner, and I kind of respect it. I have to respect it. So that division should yeah. be interesting. The Mets do seem to make players worse. Though. They I, that is the thing that is their curse. As soon as they reload players, <laughs> they sign Francisco to Lindor to a three hundred plus million dollar contract, and he becomes like an average mid tier shortstop. I know what what the heck's up with that. I I'm really bummed about. Couldn't handle New York. Francisco man. Lindor. Not everybody can handle New York, and they talk about that with the Yankees a lot. But it's true for the Mets as well. Not everybody as much of a personality as Lindor is. Like not everybody can handle that kind of scrutiny and that pressure. And you know him and Baez are out there like flipping off fans and booing them and things like that. Like that's not it, man. You're not like that's not it. That did not work out. Not gonna end well. No. So I'm curious before we wrap up like free agent talk, who do you think is going to have the biggest impact on their team out of the players that we talked about? I would say it's probably I'm tempted to say Correa with the Twins. Um like that that team has the potential if they click like the way they did in 2019 they have the potential to be a really fun offense. I I think I have to agree with you, not to be boring, but he, as much as I don't like him, he is an elite player defensively and offensively, and if his lower back doesn't hurt him and he's healthy, uh, he's going to make a huge difference to that team, huge difference. 
I mean, they got Freeman to the Dodgers. Dodgers are already a 100-win team. It makes them better, but they're going to be good without him. And Story is going to make an impact, but, you know, the Sox will be who they are. And I think you're right. I think Correa is a player that can really push that team and make them a lot better than they would have been without him. And they play in the weakest division, according to you. So. They do. Absolutely. Totally <laughs> gettable. Here come so the he Tigers. Can, uh, he can feast off of all of those pitching prospects. Come the Tigers. So, any final thoughts on uh, players moving? I mean, it's, this has all happened, by the way, in a week. This is like one week. It's been crazy. It's I been know. fun. It feel, we have like enough content for a month worth. I mean, there's still deals we didn't even talk about, mm-hmm. but... Um, you know, final thoughts is I wish Chris Bryant well in Colorado. <laughs> enjoy, enjoy that I, salary, man. I hope he loves his mansion up in the Rockies. It's gonna and, be a beautiful view, of course. He's not even like he'll, he'll buy like condo, and then when it gets cold, he's going back to like San Diego in the off season. He ain't staying there. We should place a wager on how many years he stays in, like that the Rockies that's, keep. That's him. a good question. I think. I think let's say halfway into his third year. How about that? Yeah, I, I was going to say opt out, so I don't know when he is opts out. I don't think he does have an opt out. Opt out, actually. I'm not sure on that though. I was going to say three years or less. Yeah, I think that's a good bet. Somewhere else. Yeah, that's a good bet. He's not going to last. He's they're going to trade him eventually. Yeah. All right, that wraps up our MLB segment. So now we'll end with a little bit of. NBA talk playoffs are coming up Bobby I know you uh you know we've all been watching March Madness so haven't been probably paying as much attention to the NBA but any storylines stick out to you that you wanted to point out or teams that you're starting to believe in now that we get close to playoff time to believe in well it seems like the number one seeds are separating themselves a little bit between I mean Phoenix is obviously the best team in the league and definitely in the West and I have to think that roads go through Phoenix. I, I think they come out of the West. And Miami seems to be constantly the one that sticks to that number one seed. I mean, you've seen Chicago and Milwaukee. Even Philadelphia was up there for a little bit. But they're all kind of like go through spurts. So I think Miami has a really good shot. But that the Eastern Con- Conference playoffs are going to be a lot of fun to watch. I mean, you have a lot of teams that are all kind of on the same skill level and playing. So anybody could come out of it, but it seems like Miami has been consistently the one that's uh, been pushing the top. And I have to, if I had to bet, I mean, Phoenix is definitely going and I don't know, maybe Brooklyn, maybe Brooklyn does. They go through that play in game. And if uh, KD stays healthy and maybe Ben Simmons comes back, plays at some point, I don't know. And uh, if that mandate changes in New York, uh, that team, if they'd all come together, even on the last day of the season, that team is going to be uh, a tough opponent in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm going to have to disagree with you on Boston, or on uh, Brooklyn there. I, they played the Blazers on Friday, and the Blazers might be putting out the worst roster in the league right now. Um, and they just did not look like they cared. And I know that, you know, when you play a team that's tanking, it's hard to get motivated for that game in late April, in late March. But I don't they they needed KD and Seth Curry to bail them out of that game. Like 
Eesh. Was this I, in I Portland? I just have a hard time. Or was this in Brooklyn? It was it was in Brooklyn. So there was so Kyrie no Kyrie. Wasn't playing. It was still it was just a bizarre game and like to be getting outplayed by a bunch of let's be honest, G League guys who are twenty one. <laughs> it's your team, like, John. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna tell it like it is. Um I don't know, I just and Brooklyn Brooklyn's scraping by just to maintain the eight seed right now. So I'm just like my point is that if they if Kyrie can play at home games and Ben Simmons comes back, you never know. Yeah, but Ben Simmons is dealing with a herniated disc in his back. You know, um, you know what's interesting? Apparently, sitting out all season uh, came and backfired on him. It's interesting because I feel like, including myself, a lot of people thought Brooklyn won that trade, and it's clearly the opposite right now. It looks like yeah. I mean, there's a is. there's a good chance that Ben Simmons doesn't play. Yeah, I mean, it um, seems like, like it. Herniated disc is not something to mess around with. No, no, no. Yeah. It, and I think a lot of people are under the impression that Ben Simmons just wasn't playing because he didn't want to, and that was the case. But then he comes to Brooklyn. He's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I have a major injury, and uh, we'll see if I play. Yeah. Um, but, you know, referencing what you're saying, how close the East is, there are three teams that are tied for uh, second place in the East right now, Philly, Milwaukee, and Boston. So. It is it is a tight race up at the top, and even the you know teams in the middle, Chicago, Cleveland, Toronto, are still going to be tough teams to you know they probably won't win a first round series, but they'll they'll make a series go six games. I think they totally have the potential to do that. So what are we at right now? Like seventy two games. We got ten games left. Do you see this playoff format changing in the next ten days? Uh, outside of the teams that are see. tied you know the seedings are probably going to flip back and forth in the east and maybe the west a little bit but what about like the play-in tournament do you see any the anybody sneaking in on the last day i i think there's a chance that the spurs could sneak in um just with how awful the lakers are i'll <laughs> never miss a chance to point out how ugly of a basketball team that is right now um and you know new orleans is kind of they looked really fun for about two weeks but then brandon ingram and cj mccollum their two best players outside of zion uh you know those two players missed some time recently so they've kind of been on a losing skid i mean the the, the play-in in the west is just ugly that's super right ugly, now. except for like, denver you have nobody in there who wants to be there essentially um denver certainly does they th this is the first time i think that they've been kicked out of the locked top six spots uh, by minnesota who is surprising you know 42 and 30 they are nine and one in their last 10 games and i think you have to go back to the kg uh days since they were locked into a six seed I mean, in the playoffs. Maybe Jimmy Butler, right? When he was there for a little bit with I think I think they were a pretty oh, yeah. solid team. I I wonder what seed they got that year. You may be right, but it was a very brief one brief year stint. stint yeah, absolutely. But yeah, you know, I think if San Antonio really if they really pushed and said we want to get DeJounte Murray some experience in 
the plan. I think that they could probably unseat the Lakers or New Orleans just with how bad those teams look. But then then again, the front office might say, hey, we need to be playing for a higher draft pick. And so they might, uh, might start coming on. up with some, you know, DeJounte might need a rest with a little bit of knee inflammation here, a little bit of elbow soreness there. You know how it is in March. Yeah, yeah especially in the NBA. So I'm curious. I, can... I think we think you think Denver probably wins that game. If it stays the way it is, Denver wins that game against the Clippers. Who wins? I do. Who wins out of Lakers, Pelicans, Clippers? Is it Clippers? You think the Lakers, LeBron pulls out some magic and maybe they sneak in the eighth seed or, or what happens there? Yeah, I think you get so Denver, LA, Clippers, Denver wins. LA, Lakers, and Pelicans, I think the Lakers win, even though two minutes ago I just said that they were the ugliest brand of basketball. Um, I just don't think New Orleans is going to have enough to deal with LeBron taking over a game. Yeah, and it, he can, it, too. It will, probably, it will probably take LeBron scoring 50, if we're honest. Yeah, like that's it, how though. bad, That's how bad the Lakers are. But right, like... If it's the play-in, you know LeBron James is going to go all out and he's going to do whatever he can to put the team on his back. Um, and I, I think just his talent alone will probably be able to cover up all of the the ugliness that is the Lakers. But just because, you know, the, the play-in is such a short time frame, it's, it's one game in that matchup. But I think that, once they if they do get into the playoffs and they get into a seven game series, I, I think they go five games if they're lucky. Yeah, if they're lucky. For, I mean, they'd have to play Phoenix and Phoenix is just so damn good and just been dismantling everybody, including the Lakers. So fun fact about Phoenix, this is a, a our NBA stat of the day. So they've been at without Chris Paul for a while. He's dealing with, I believe, a thumb injury. Um and so, you know, everyone's everyone's like, oh, you know, they, they're going to they're going to struggle and they're going to maybe drop some games. But they've got enough padding for that first place seed that they don't really have to worry about anyone sneaking up on them. They're nine games ahead of the second seed, which is insane. Like that, that is a mile. Um, but here's the fun stat. Phoenix's team record without Chris Paul would still be the number one seed in terms of percentage, uh, win percentage. I think he just brought a specific culture and intensity of that team that even if he's not on the floor, his presence is still there. Right. Yeah, and I think you got you to credit Monty Williams with just creating a really good culture from top to bottom. And they did. They were active during the trade deadline in getting some very like end of the bench depth which this is the time in the season that you really need that depth you know guys like Aaron Holiday Landry Shamit like people you're probably not going to see much in the playoffs but if you can rely on them to kind of get you to the finish line of the regular season I, I think there were some underrated front office moves that they made a month ago so my next question so we just talked about the west what about the east 
who makes it in from the play-in tournament out of, let's say it stays the way it is, Charlotte, Atlanta, Toronto, and Brooklyn? I think that Atlanta beats Charlotte just because, similar to what we said about the Lakers, like Trey Young can just go off and Charlotte has no defense and they don't have that number one player that can just go out and score 50 the way that Atlanta does. And then Toronto, Brooklyn is hard. You know, I, I really like Toronto, so I should preface this by saying, like, I'm going to be rooting for Toronto. But I think you probably have to take Brooklyn there. I think so, too. I think so, too, because then, if Brooklyn is... Well, I don't know. This is an interesting question, because if Brooklyn is the lower seed, they would play in Toronto, right? So... Is Toronto like what yeah. is Toronto's vaccine mandates like? Can, yeah, Kyrie, Kyrie cannot play. So he in couldn't play on either. He couldn't play in that as it stands. He couldn't play in either location. Yeah, that's the fun of it. So it just KD taken over, which is totally possible. Right. You, you just wonder, like, are you going to get the good Brooklyn defense, or are you going to get the defense that doesn't care? Because Toronto's issue is that. They're just gonna, um, they're gonna struggle to score. You know, out of all of these teams that are kind of in this range, they're one of the weakest offensive teams. So, if Brooklyn can really show up and put a lot of length on Toronto, make it hard for them to score, and basically say, "Hey, you gotta have Pascal Siakam and Fred VanVleet give their best effort, you know, the best games of their season." in order to beat us, you know, that then it's going to be hard for Toronto. But on the other hand, if Brooklyn comes out there and it's just like they let guys drive past them the way that we've seen in recent weeks, then I think Toronto could win that game. I think my gut tells me Brooklyn wins that game. I just think yeah, with Katie's I think experience my, my there, gut does too. Know. And, you know, like you said, it's towards the end of the year. you got to imagine in a one-game playoff as the play-in tournament, you would hope that the effort level is there, but it defensively, like you said, Brooklyn's looked ugly all year, and um, they've had a lot of injuries, too, that I think have you know, played a part in that. But you'd have to hope in that game, right. everybody shows up. And, and you know, Toronto's not going to be an easy place to play in for Brooklyn if they're at 100% capacity yep. in their Are arena. they? Right, and I know they for most of the season, they are... They, suspended attendance are they at a are they starting to allow uh attendance at home games are they allowing fans in do you know um i am seeing a news article <laughs> coming up here on march 1st they announced that they will uh finally play a full arena okay so yeah, that'll be, I mean, they have great fan base, so that'll be a tough crowd for sure. Yep. So they, they should be, barring any, uh, any sort of variant, they should be a full packed house in April. So a lot of this stuff is, obviously, there's 10 games left in the season. Some of these things are subject to change, but I feel like a lot of this is, is pretty solidified for the most part. Who do you see as being my, my resident expert on the NBA is coming out of the East and West, who do you think right now, the way teams are playing, who's uh, going to beat the NBA Finals? 
Well, the the series I'm rooting for in the finals is one that's going to get me in trouble. And I think I've said it on the podcast before, but I would love to see a rematch of Milwaukee Phoenix. Um, and I don't think it's that out of the question that no. those are the two teams. Milwaukee does not have as much depth this year. I, I am concerned about them, you know, getting back to the finals. Crazy thing about Milwaukee is that um, Minnesota is only three games behind Milwaukee in the standings. <laughs> Isn't that and wild? two wins. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, who would have thought that Minnesota Timberwolves would be in, you know, in striking distance of the defending world champs. But no, I think, I really think that it will probably be Phoenix in the West and Miami or Milwaukee in the East. Those are my two teams that I'm having a hard time choosing between. I think Boston could be kind of a dark horse. They have a lot of experience in the playoffs and they've been playing really well over the last 20 or 30 games. And I think they're hungry for it. So. I wouldn't be shocked if Boston made it out of the East. Yeah, I think they'd probably be my third favorite over Philadelphia, actually, uh, just because they're a lot younger than Philly. And I think that they can go the distance just in terms of heavier minutes. And that's a workload that Embiid and Harden are going to struggle with. And Boston's... You know, they're not a super deep team, but they're young enough that I think you give them those heavy minutes, they'll they'll be okay. So any final thoughts on the playoff picture before we wrap it up? Well, I would just like to say I while I am focusing on the playoff picture, as a Blazers fan, I am focused on the other race to the top, which is the race to the best lottery odd. And that has been a fun race to watch. So not, Portland, not usually believe, a race you want to be a part of, John. <laughs> Portland, I believe, has the sixth, wor- the sixth worst record. So they have the sixth best odds um, when it comes to getting a top pick. And let me just pull pull up Tankathon here. Okay, so they are in seventh now. Um, but I just got to say, the Sacramento Kings suck. <laughs> and they are not thanks, doing thanks the Blazers. Bluntly, <laughs> they are not doing the Blazers any favors in this race it's to the bonus bottom. trade. Really worked out for them, huh? Yeah, I guess I can eat crow on that one because I when he went here on this podcast saying that was a good trade for Sacramento, and they've been truly terrible um, since the trade deadline. They they weren't good before the trade deadline, and they've been worse since then. And kind of like we were saying with the Mets. It feels like the Kings just turn everything into, you know, that means not not good. It's stuff. organization. <laughs> I, mean, I think the Mets are trying to turn that around, but ultimately, you can't have a successful team if you don't have a successful front office and and management around you. Yeah, and I think that it's just a bad situation down there. So, yeah, my way of saying that every night I'm keeping track of like a, a tanker's guide to. <laughs> the top overall pick and every night i end up cussing out sacramento because they can't put a single win they together. lost again damn it um but you know we'll see what happens it, it's fun you know to bring this full circle to the beginning of the podcast it, it is fun watching the NBA, the ncaa tournament 
when you know that your team is going to be picking uh portland will have most likely will have two top 14 picks so they're going to be think, drafting some of these guys that we're watching think, in the tournament right think now. Think the Trailblazers reach back in the past and draft another tall, skinny white man from Gonzaga. The you know the Blazers fan base is pretty torn on that right now. There's a there's a big contingent of the fan base that is like pretty tough on Chet. Like during that Memphis game, there was a lot of Yeah, he didn't look great. Um, I mean, he got like the first like five minutes. He was blocking shots left and right, but after that, he uh, he had a rough game for sure. Yeah, and I don't think that they're gonna get a high enough pick, um, just because the teams in front of them in this race to the bottom are, you know, Houston, Detroit, Orlando, OKC. You know, those teams are gonna get the top four picks most likely. Portland would have to get pretty lucky to sneak into Chet's range if we're assuming that Chet's going to be a top three pick. He will be. So I, I feel like it's kind of a moot point, but I think if Portland somehow lucked into like the second or third pick, I think you should take him. I think, I think it would be tougher to take him at number one overall. I think that in some ways is the worst spot for Portland to be in because we know what happens when they choose number one. Um, but yeah, it's, I think Chet's ceiling is just higher than these other guys. His floor might be lower, but I think his ceiling is still higher. If, if he, you know, the way that he can move at his size, it's is incredible. Just, you don't find that. It's like a seven, one guy that can kind of move like a guard the way he can handle. It's crazy. I think it would benefit right. him like as a player to play another year in college, but that's not the era we're in. He's got to get out and get that bag. He needs to be with a team that in the NBA that's going to take their time with him. Yeah, he's and not going to be overnight. Portland's not in that situation because they have Dame who wants to win now and has been very patient to go along with this mini rebuild. But um, yeah, I, you know, they need somebody like a Keegan Murray who can just come in off the bench and give you 12 to 15 points from day one, essentially, every night. So it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the tournament goes and how the draft stock for everybody goes up and down. Yeah, hopefully Holmgren sure. raises that stock. We'll see. Yeah, it's we got plenty more basketball in front of us. Yes, we do. We got a Gonzaga playing on Thursday. So. Yes, we do. All right, man. Well, I think I think that's all I have for tonight. Do you have anything else you want to add in before we finish up? No, just uh, enjoy watching the Zags, and you know we're we're two two weeks away from the start of the MLB season. So you know we'll be talking more about that as spring training goes on. We'll be back next week. Yeah, it's coming up. Oh, really quickly, really quickly. Um, I'm gonna bring it back up. Who do you think? Who do you think out of the remaining bracket? makes the final four that was a question i was gonna ask you earlier and decided not to (laughs) all right well here we are thank you for reading my mind well now i have to pull my bracket up okay well so i think go ahead uh, i i think gonzaga and arizona okay gonzaga arizona but they play on different sides of the bracket so gonzaga plays who in the final four ah um I will say they play North Carolina. 
I think that's I think that's a good guess. I think you're right, and maybe they get revenge from 2017. Please, let's do it. Okay, so Zags UNC, I'm in agreement with you there. Yeah, and then Arizona, man, the Midwest is hard. Um... I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Kansas, and I'm gonna go Villanova. Villanova's looked really good. Arizona's. Like I said, I think they're going to struggle. Uh, I think we'll get through Houston, but I think Nova's... Oh, get out of here. I'm telling you. Dude, I'm telling you. So that's my, my pick on the other side of the bracket is going to be Nova in Kansas. And I think ultimately yep. maybe Kansas and Zags in the national title game for the remaining bracket. That's, that's my, uh, my prediction. Villanova is always very well coached, so I'll give you that. Um, I will say Arizona... Providence, just to Providence, do no way. That'd be crazy just to see. To be, no way. It would be crazy to see. Um, I just I don't know if I want to choose like three number one seeds. The way that the tournament has gone this year, that seems two seed. Three number Nova's a two seed. I guess you're picking. You're picking Arizona. Yeah. Naturally, we'll but, see, man. But I, I got a feeling. I got a feeling. Nova's look good. They've looked solid. Um, Arizona's looked a little shaky, and like you said, their attitude hasn't been the best. So we'll see. All, I mean, all it takes for Providence is to beat Kansas because you know they're a four seed. They're gonna and yeah, you would, Iowa State. You would Miami think that they can any of those teams. Well, yeah, you can. You would think that Providence could beat Iowa State and Miami. Right. So they just have to win on Friday. And then they're in the final four. It should be interesting, man. It should be interesting. But it, I'm curious to see how St. Peter's does and, and UNC. We could have a UNC St. Peter's Elite Eight. That'd be crazy. That would be crazy. But I think Purdue probably ends that run. I think it'll be a good game. But uh, yeah, I mean, we've had so many high seeds already go out. It's an interesting tournament. There is really no clear cut. Yeah. Uh, I mean, no clear cut outside of Gonzaga and Arizona, right? Out of Gonzaga? Yeah, sure. All right. Well, with that, I think we will head out for the week. Bobby, you take care of yourself. Where can Dude. listeners find us on Twitter? Twitter, Yankee6 for me and uh, Thorpe Theory for John. Excellent. And we will we will be back next week with more. All right, everybody. Enjoy your week. We'll see you then. All right. Toodles.